Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glicksman alongside my tag team partner, Matt Story. And Greg Powell, before you have to text me, the answer is pizza. I'm working on some pizza while we're talking. <laughs> um, yes, I, I heard it a little bit in the background as well. So a little bit of good and a little bit of bad in the world of Matt's fandom as far as the tournament's gone. You, uh, ASU gets bounced by four, but... Arizona gets blown out by the Buffalo Bulls. Yeah, yeah, that made me happy. Let's start with ASU. Yeah. Disappointing, I think, is the only way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, disappointing on a small scale because I think it was a winnable game. Um, You know, I didn't didn't watch that game and think, boy, the Syracuse team is really good. the one thing I would say for them is they, they have size at all positions, and that was apparent from the very you know opening possession that their size on defense with that zone and how active their zone is was going to cause us problems, and it, it did. Um, you know We found little stretches where we had success, but never really a lot of consistency against it. They collapsed the free throw line better than anyone we saw, probably because yeah. they run that zone all the time, but... I guess the the first point I think, and I want to just talk about this game, and then we can broaden out for the yeah. season and, and our thoughts and things like that. But, you know, Remy Martin should have played more. He was the only one attacking off the dribble. I know he didn't score a lot of points, but he, had a, he didn't score at all. But he had assists. He had rebounds. He was yes. aggressive. And we were lacking that for long stretches, I felt. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I felt like... You know, and, and I, I mentioned this to you in text as we were kind of talking about, you know, next year's team. Felt like that game was kind of emblematic of, of what happened a little too much as this year wore along, which was I think everybody else kind of stood around at times thinking, okay, the three seniors will save the day. And they weren't quite good enough to always do that. They did it at times, um, but that game kind of felt like that, that everybody was just kind of. Um, you know, going through the motions and waiting for one of the three of them or all three of them to step it up and, and you know, play the hero. And, um, you know, they all three really fell in love with the three-point shot in that game and others throughout the second half of the year. Um, and, it, you know, it just wasn't quite enough. Trey Holder's drive and kick disappeared. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. He was yeah. just and, taking deep threes all day. Yeah, and admittedly against the zone, it is hard to drive. You know, that is one of the things of you know, because you're not beating your man off the dribble. You know, it, you know, you're you're trying to get into a zone and and you know, if you drive, that just leads you into another guy's area. Um, you know, that's the that's the theory behind his own defense. But then, you know, but then why do, were we not dragging the baseline when the guys came up? Like that was part of the problem yeah. all night. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it, it was it was inconsistent in the way we attacked it. Too much, too much chucking of outside shots, um, and then some of them fell. And when they did fall, I, you know, it was a confidence booster. But at the same time, it was not something that we ever really got into a great rhythm. Um, you know, nobody was ever really hot. You know, Justice made a couple in the second half. Evans made a couple in the first half. You know, Holder made I think his first three each in, in each half. Um, but it, it just there was no consistency there, and you know that's the theory behind his own defense. You know, in addition to not you know allowing drive and kick, the theory is hey, we're going to make you shoot from the outside. 
they they stretch their zone as well. I mean, they don't they don't play a relaxed, you know, pack the middle kind of zone. They play a, a you know an attacking zone that gets out and and out past the three point line to make you have to take deep threes. And we took too many of them, and not very many of them went in. Most of the threes we made were the conventional variety, um, and and most of the ones we missed, it seems like, were coming from you know twenty seven plus feet out. In the song "Hey Ya." Outcast has a line, what's cooler than being cool? And the answer is ASU's free throw shooting at the end of the season. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, That's, well, you're reaching for that reference, but, you know. But I'm right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm, you're Three right. Three of ten from the line in a game you lose by four. There you go. Shoot your season average. We're tied and going to overtime. Sure, sure. Well, and, and you know. You know, the guards. Uh, I yeah. mean, Holder missed a, a front end of a one-on-one in the first half. Justice missed two. Um, uh, you know, you look for those guards to be good at the line, and they weren't. And Romello White, I think, missed three free throws total. Romello White was um, two of five. The rest of the team was one of five. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's um, – and I think what Mitchell had the one make, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we got, we got zero made free throws from – those three senior guards, um, some of that is willingness to settle for outside shots, and some of it is missing the free throw opportunities they got. They didn't get that many, and they didn't cash in on the ones they got. So uh, it's a kind of a double-edged sword there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, and yet, all that said, um, Shannon Evans is a pretty good look at a three with under five seconds to play that would have put us up by one point. And it didn't go, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the game was winnable in spite of some of the mistakes that we made. Um, I thought we played fairly good defense. I thought we rebounded fairly well against a, a, a team that was bigger than us. Um, not I thought great. Jaquan I mean, Lake, this was reminiscent of yes. Eric Botang's Stanford Valentine's Day game. Yes, Just coming out he was party. good. He was good. Yeah, I mean, his shot-blocking presence um, – was important, uh, you know. He, he all, you know, the one that was the spark of the play that put us up by seven with seven minutes to go was his big shot block that led to a fast break, and you know, we missed the layup, but end up with three instead. Um, and yeah, he was he was good. Um, I one of the things that frustrated me over the course of the latter part of the second half was how many times Mickey Mitchell got the ball at the free throw line and had the ability to you know take a dribble inside, uh, just you know popped the jumper from the elbow and he didn't do it instead he just kind of you know he caught it and and almost kept his back to the basket with no one around him while he looked to pass it back out and you know the, the pass back out only works when you collapse the defense on you and he wasn't doing anything to make them collapse on him mm. he finally made a, a nice aggressive move on the very last you know the, the last basket of the game and, and, and i wonder where that was but maybe that showed us why he hadn't because that that was luck. That that I mean, it was in. it was luck, but at least he made an aggressive move. And it, I, you know, I, I wondered why not make that move. I mean, look, I'm not saying I want Mickey Mitchell to take 20 shots. You have to know who you are, and, and you know, our bread is buttered with those three senior guards this year. But you got to maybe take one or two to to keep the other team honest. You know, it's it's sort of like a football team that you know. They like to pass the ball, but every now and again you got to run the ball, or else you pretty much just tell the other team we're going to pass it every down. I mean, um, that was that was on some level what Syracuse was doing, and I don't, I really am not sure if we did a very good job explaining it. But Dolajai 
refused to shoot at a certain yes. point, and we never yes. seemed to help off of him. Uh-uh, uh-uh, yeah. I agree. I mean, there was, um, you know, it was it was a winnable game, and, and that's why there's disappointment, because we, we could have won, um, and I thought we were going to. I mean, with that seven-minute mark, you know, we, we just as hit that three with exactly seven minutes to go, I believe. Um, we're up by seven, and obviously that's, you know, look, that's three possessions. It's not insurmountable with seven minutes to go, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, mentally start thinking, wow, okay, we, we can win this game, and we had outplayed them in the second half to that point. Um, after a fairly unimpressive first half, I thought we had been much the better team in the second half. And then it got away from us. And, and it was just kind of a, you know, a continuing theme of, of the you know, 2018 portion of the schedule was the inability to win very many close games. We won a couple, um, but not enough. And that's why we played in the first four. And that's why we're not playing past the first four. Yeah, I mean, and we played in a lot of close games. We did. We yeah. did. And, you know, admittedly, we, um, you know, of our eight conference wins, I want to say probably at least five were, you know, close. Um, USC, we, we needed a shot, you know, on the last possession to win. Washington State was an excruciating win, which it shouldn't have been. But, you know, um, Cal on the road was a tough win. Oregon State at home. Uh, we needed, you know, to, to come back there. We were down, you know, I think five late in the game, had to come back and win. Um, you know, so we, we won a few, but we didn't win enough of them. You know, I mean, uh, what was, you know, the stat was, was what? Until the Pac-12 tournament, we hadn't lost a game by more than nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, two overtime losses. Uh, you know, I mean, we just didn't, we didn't make enough plays to win enough of those close games, and it, it haunted us all the way to the end. Part of the issue, and you and I have talked about it, at great length, the the three senior guards are good. They they mm-hmm. were they were good players, but they were not elite. And no, they were not. No, no. I mean, um, again, our, our size disparity became very obvious from early in that game, and mm-hmm. especially when we trotted out the four guard lineup, which we did at times. Uh, you know, like we were we were outsized all the way across the court, and. Uh, you know, and because none of them are very big. I mean, three seniors, but none of you know. Cody Justice is the biggest, and he's probably six four. Um, the other two are barely six feet, if at all. So they're not big guys, and that hurt us. Um, and yeah, I mean, ultimately, they, you know, you can win with small guys, but you need your small guys to be really good. And they, they weren't really good. They were good, but they weren't really good. And um, you know, you, you thank them for what they did but also realize their limitations, you know, cost this team the ability to probably go deeper. Yeah. Next year's team, I think, will have high expectations. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I there's really that. two ways to, to slice that. No, no. I mean, I, you know, of course, I read the immediate, you know, Twitter reaction, which is always dangerous to read, is, you know, boy, ASU is losing, you know, all this scoring and all this production from this year and uh uh, you know, is it going to be difficult to replace them in some way? Sure. I mean, I don't, I don't want to act like losing those three guys is nothing and no, don't worry, it's no big deal. But um, it'll be a different looking team. It'll be a bigger team. It'll be hopefully a deeper team. Um, you know, more experience coming back than just three guys. I mean, less we, reliance. We had, less reliance on the three point shot. Yes, yes, yes. And and you know that was one of the interesting things about this year's group was we. And we talked about this at one point this year. You know, we had the three seniors, and, you know, Holder and Justice were four-year guys. Evans had been here for two years, and they played at Buffalo. Besides that, we had nobody with any 
experience. I mean, we were playing true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, uh, one transfer who played, you know, a handful of games at Ohio State two years ago. That's it. Uh, you know, so we, we were uh, a weird mix of experienced and totally inexperienced. And next year, I think we should have a little bit more of a balance. We'll have some new faces, but we'll have more faces back that played this year and, and got some experience. And I hope that helps us out, especially early in the year. Yeah, I mean, you assume health being what it is that next year you're going to have Lake and White and you'll have Lawrence and Mitchell and then, you know, I guess Remy Martin, I, I pencil in as the starting point guard. Uh, yeah. And I think that him playing 30 minutes a game will be a good thing for this team. I do too. I do too. He's, uh, he brings a different mentality than those, you know, than Evans and Holder. And I think you compare him to, to them then more than Justice. Justice really isn't a point guard. Yeah. You know, Evans and Holder were more the point guards. And Martin's just a different player. He's not the outside shooter they are. Um, but he's a, uh, you know, more aggressive, certainly a better defender than those two. That was something that I thought Syracuse could have done more to us, was just simply drive by Holder and Evans. Um, they did it a few times where it just felt like Holder and Evans were – you know, wearing cement shoes um, uh, because they were just slow to react on defense. And, uh, you know, I think that will help. Hopefully we'll be a better defensive lineup um, and and just bigger. You know, I mean, with the, with the two transfers, with the, uh, you know, three freshmen that we're bringing in, um, you know, and, and the returning depth we've got, it, it should be a much bigger looking team. A team that goes out there against a team like Syracuse or someone of their ilk and doesn't look physically outmatched like we kind of looked in that game. I mean, I think Rob Edwards might be the smallest guy on next year's yeah. team in the rotation. He's 6'2". Yeah. Yeah, you know, know, so... And and look, you know, we've talked about it. We've walked through the guys. um, You know, this rotation, you know, we talked about via text during the game, Scheibel, who wasn't in either of our projected rotations for next year, looked okay against Syracuse. I thought he did. I, I thought he looked totally lost on the first, you know, five, six positions of the game. And I texted you very early in the game saying, you know, it's not too late to take him out. But in the second half when he played, I thought he looked decent. Now, the, the bar was set so low for, for what I expected out of him. Uh, but, you know, he got he got three or four rebounds in traffic, um, you know, made some good passes. He just looks like a guy who needs confidence. And that's something I think is kind of a recurring thing for a lot of these guys that are returning. They just need more confidence. Romello White really needs to reestablish his offensive confidence. It went away in the conference season. Uh, maybe due to fouls, maybe due to, you know, becoming very guard heavy, but it just went away. He, he was almost a nothing on offense. Um, you know, Jaquan Lake isn't much of an offensive player anyway. He needs to work on that. Scheibel certainly needs work on that. Mitchell needs work on that. Lawrence needs work on that. I mean, I could go through the whole, like, you know, you just, you just want these guys to look more at ease and none of them by the end of the year really did except for the three seniors and Remy Martin. And, and so, you know, that's something that will, you know, you just need work. You need improvement, and that improvement will bring more confidence. For Daquan Lake, his shot-blocking threat certainly was an, an, an impactful thing to have in the Syracuse mm-hmm. and, and across the board this year. But he needs to – the next step for him defensively, and, and I texted you, he's further along in his curve than Bashinsky was at this point, obviously, but – 
you you can't chase all of them. You can't block every shot. No. So just your right. presence being there that forces the guy to pull up short of where he wants to go, then, yes. then turn and box out. There's no sense yes. in jumping when you don't have a chance to block it. True. True. There's there's that element and then there's also, I believe, you know, one element that will help with him and, and it's not really related to him is being bigger on the floor around him so that maybe there's someone else there to, to help get a rebound if he goes for a shot block. You know, too many times we would give up offensive rebounds because he'd go for a shot block and the rest of the guys on the floor were six four or smaller and so, you know, and there here's a six eight guy to come in there and, you know, basically uncontested get a rebound. If we are a bigger team, maybe that's less of a you know, something he has to he could be more aggressive if we've got, you know, Lawrence on the floor or Mitchell on the floor. Uh, you know, as a second big to rebound the ball better, um, you know, but yeah, I, 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 you know, and, and both Lake and White certainly need to work on avoiding fouls. Um, you know, that was a, that was a common problem all season was them getting into foul trouble with just dumb fouls, just overly aggressive, not very, you know, inexperienced <laughs> player type of fouls. So that's something that, you know, they hopefully can both improve on as they get older and wiser. I think that that applies to um, Mitchell as well. He his fouls though were not of the two hands on the guy's back variety, but he similar to I think Lake needing to back off on the shot block. Mitchell needs to know when you know diving into the guy is not going to work. You know, and, and sometimes the tenacity is good. Just do it. Just try and you know bully the guy and try to take the ball from him by just moving him out of his space. Um, yes. But I'm not sure long-term that, you know, that's going to be enough. He needs to channel yeah. his athleticism. Because I told you via text, I think uh, the Mitchell, Martin, Lake, and then fill in the other two spots, mm-hmm. whoever it is on the roster next year, can be a good defensive team. On the yeah. Floor, you know? I would agree. I mean, I am, I am hopeful – that this will be a better defensive group overall. We, we, you know, we were not really a very good defensive group. I mean, our, our numbers look good against Syracuse, but Syracuse is not a good offense. And and you know, even their their coach admitted it after the game. I heard his you know post game, and he said, you know, we we just struggle as an offensive team. And you can see that they don't. They're not really great outside shooting team. They you know their big guys are big, but they don't bring anything to the table offensively. I mean, the seven two kid. You know, is, is only playing basketball because he's seven two. He has very little offensive skill. Uh, you know, so they they were not a great offensive team, and so we were able to hang in the game because they kind of let us in some ways. Um, but against better offensive teams, we struggled this year, and you know that's that's why early in the year, you know, yeah, we were winning with you know ninety plus points, but some of those games we were giving up seventy five or eighty, and there were there were some alarm bells there that turned out to be uh, you know reasonable alarm bells as the year wore along overall though i I think that we'll look back at the 1718 season as a success it's hard i agree from where we started and you and i talked about this to remember where your expectations were yeah absolutely yeah i mean this year is all about when you you know when do you say you're judging this season you know are you judging the season from what you wanted on opening day uh, you know, maybe even let's let's go back to about two weeks before opening day when we played an exhibition game and we had to go to overtime to beat a team that wasn't even Division One. And if you had said right then this team's going to make the NCAA tournament, probably both of us would have said, "Oh, I don't know about that." Um, but we did, 
And and so I you know I would have taken that. And all off season, you and I talked to basically kind of set the set the level of expectation that hey let's let's be a a team that's on the bubble. If we get in, great. If we're close but not quite, okay. It's not a huge you know problem or concern. We got in. Um, so that's that's good. But yeah, I mean from where we were December fifteenth, um, you know December thirtieth even you know I. I remember texting you as I left the Fiesta Bowl and saying we're the last undefeated team in the country, and if we win tonight, we're going. We're probably going to be number one in the nation. From that point on, obviously disappointing. Um, so it's hard to judge, but yeah, I, I try to keep it in the big picture and remember what we what we wanted out of this year. We got really. Uh, somebody was expressing, I think it was on the Sun Devil Source podcast, about you know when you're building a program, you want three things. You want engagement you want recruits and you want good coaching we've got the recruits hurley's been doing that since he got here we found the fan engagement yeah. this year don't know if that'll keep up although i think it's they'll gonna be able have to, to keep up but you're right yes it was good this year and they'll be able to sell a number of ticket packages off that kansas game so yes, that right. at least purchased seat attendance will be high next year as well um the in-game coaching, I think, needs a little tweak. Sure, sure, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think, um, and you know, I, I don't know this, but I, you know, I would hope and I would think that he probably would agree with that. You know, I mean, he's coaches are never perfect. Sometimes we, we, you know, there's certain coaches that kind of, you know, reach a level where they, you give them the benefit of the doubt because they've won so much. Whether it's you know Mike Shashevsky or Bill Belichick or Greg Popovich, but they make mistakes too. I mean, you know, Bill Belichick has made made some very notable mistakes in coaching. Um, it's okay because he's won enough to counteract it. But, you know, coaches make mistakes. They're human beings, and especially a young coach like this who hasn't been in this position very much. I mean, uh, that's one element about this year's team that you talked about, you know, where we were in December. He's never been there as a coach. Yes, he's been there as a player. He had the target on his back at Duke. They were number one, and they were defending champs, all that. Coaching's different. And, you know, he coached at Buffalo, off the radar school, you know, not a lot of pressure. First two years here, not a lot of pressure. Start this year, not a lot of pressure. And all of a sudden, you're ranked in the top five in the country, and people are talking about you as a number one seed. That's different. And you got to learn to coach with pressure just as your players learn to have, have to learn to play with pressure. And maybe he didn't do that great. But, you know, you learn from it, you get better at it going forward. Yeah. I mean, he's got the ability to become a great coach in game. Yeah, I think so. I uh, think so, know, yeah. Between who his father is, oh, sure. who he's played under, it's in there. I don't think he's there yet. I, you know, some of it is fine. Is you know, I actually liked the not calling timeout when we were running it down. Agreed. You Agreed. Know, get yep. in the flow. Yep. Trust your guys. But the rotations left something to be desired. I, you know, I wonder how much of it was just wanting to stick with the seniors and trust them because it's their first and turned I, out I only game. Some of that. Yep. I, I. Yeah, I think I think as I mentioned about the other players, I think there was probably that mentality from him as well that hey, these are the these are the guys that we have to let carry us, and we're going to ride them to the very end. And and I get it, you know. I mean, it, it's it's hard to say like, well, what a stupid idea. Why would you do that? I do believe we should have seen a little more Remy Martin 
in that game. I think he uh, could have been a factor, especially defensively when we needed stops at the end and, and did not come through with them. Um, but um, overall, yeah, I don't have a lot of complaints, but are there things that he, you know, hopefully will fine tune as a coach, just as some of those players will fine tune things as players. Yeah. You know, I mean, you'd hope that's always the case. Uh, if you're not trying to get better every off season and going into every season, then what are you, what are you even doing? You know? So yeah, there's things that hopefully he'll, you know, sit down and talk to his assistants and realize, Hey, we need to do this better going forward. And I have no reason to believe he won't because you're right. I mean, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's got great influences as a coach in his life. He's got a, you know, a brother who's a head coach, who's a very good head coach. And he's got, you know, a dad who's a hall of fame head coach and a, uh, you know, college head coach who's the all time winningest. And I'm sure is somebody he communicates with a lot, you know, he'll have the opportunity to improve and I trust that he will. Yeah. I, for me, I think more so than the X's and O's, although I think that's something that everyone except maybe Brad Stevens can improve on, Yeah, is the need to figure out the rotations earlier. I mean, because I, I was just about to say to you, like, Kimani Lawrence could have done something in that game, would have been interesting to see it, but we didn't really get him to get, you know, the, the Scheibel yeah. minutes, and, and Scheibel played fine, but Kimani Lawrence should be that guy. He was the he was the top rated recruit from the class that came in. Yeah, he, you know yeah. he had battled back to health. It'll it'll be an important off season for him, I think. I mean, and 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 I don't say that important as in like I'm expecting him to fail. Just more, you know he he needs he needs a good off season. He needs a good preseason. I, you know, I think his injury just set everything back, and it was hard to get him back in. And I think that game was a great example. He got in in the first half. He got two quick fouls. And he never saw the court again. And it just had the feel this year of like, you know, if he didn't make an impact right away, if he struggled at all, he was going to hit the bench and stay there the rest of the game. And that is exactly what happened in that game. Um, happened other times this year as well. Um, he just didn't have an opportunity to earn that trust. And he should get it next year. There's no reason to think he won't. But, you know, he's, he's a guy I've got big expectations for based on, you know, the, the hype for him all the way up to, you know, this year's preseason when we were hearing how good he looked and then he gets injured and it's like, man, you know, kind of a deflating story. Um, and he never quite came back from that. You know, he had a couple nice moments, but never was the player that he was supposed to be this year, at least. Yeah, I mean, the reports from the preseason games were that he was going to mm-hmm. start. He was looking great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, um, so I have high hopes for him. Again, I, I think just overall... You just need everybody, you know, and this is kind of obvious to say, but you need all these other guys coming back. Take a step forward. And and I think if they do, then we'll be in pretty good shape. Um, you, you know, you need more. I don't worry about confidence with Remy Martin. He seems like a very confident guy. Um, you need him to improve his game, just get better, you know. His but you need everybody else. Yeah, his shooting, for sure, yeah. But you just need everybody else to just, like, you know, kind of, kind of, get a confidence boost, you know, kind of, you know, have themselves built up like, hey, we don't have Trey Holder and Cody Justice and Shannon Evans to bail us out anymore. Um, sometimes they were capable of it, other times not. But I think that was the mentality that we had, and that, that's gone now. So everybody's got to man up and and be ready to take on a bigger load next year. And if they do, I am feeling pretty good about where we're headed. Given the very, very limited 
uh, amount I know about the young guys coming in, you might see some of that leadership out of Dort or Cherry as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, who knows? You know, we haven't seen them and don't know how they're going to, you know, fit, fit in. And, you know, we don't know how the two transfers will. Obviously, they've been here and practicing. So that gives you an opportunity to establish something with your teammates and, you know, build some trust, even though they haven't been playing yet. Um, you know, I think Remy Martin, I think it's fairly safe to presume he's going to be the, the leader, you know, the vocal leader the starting point guard, all those things, yeah. um, at least to begin. And then we'll see how everybody else kind of falls in. But, you know, I just I just want to see a more confident Lawrence, a more confident White. Uh, you know, these guys are good players. And this year, especially in the second half of the year, too often they just looked like they just weren't sure of themselves. And, and you know, so hopefully that's something that we won't see as much next year. I also – would be remiss if I didn't throw in the fact that Mitchell at times tried to take on the emotional leader. I, Mitchell could become Pendergraph-esque with the picking his spots sure. for the, you know, the fiery speech or whatever. Sure. You know, just something, I agree. something to keep in mind. I agree. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a lot to like about what was done this year and there's a lot to like about what's, what's there for the future and uh, you know, that's a good situation to be in, a situation we haven't been in a lot. You know, over the years we followed ASU basketball, um, you know, I mean, so I, I'm, I'm not too not too down. I'm disappointed they lost, but realistically, you know, the way this tournament started, the way they were for the conference season, we weren't a Final Four team. Um, you know, so does losing in the first round of TCU, would that feel any better? Eh, probably not. You know, I mean, um I guess it would have been nice to play a what felt like a regular tournament game and not on the first floor. But nonetheless, we were in, and so no apology coming from me. It'll be on the banner. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one team that, that did get to play in a real game was the Arizona Wildcats, who were carrying the mantle for the Pac-12 conference with yeah. UCLA and Arizona, Arizona State both being outed in the first four. Uh, and USC being left, left at the altar. Um, yeah. And I went to bed. I thought, okay, Arizona's going to pull away. This is how this works. So I'm just going to go to sleep, and I'll wake up tomorrow to a couple angry texts from Matt, and it'll be fine. You and woke up to some texts, didn't you? I woke up this morning to a number of text messages. None of them were angry. Uh-uh. All of them were full of pride for the Buffalo Bulls, who blew out yeah. the Wildcats. Yeah, it was a beatdown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that to me is is the you know point that shouldn't go unnoticed. Is this was not a fluke. I mean, this was not a buzzer beater. Uh, you know, something like that. I mean, it was it was a beating, and uh, yeah, I, I was surprised. I mean, I didn't. It's easy to say now, but I, I think you know. Arizona winning the Pac-12 was probably more a symptom of the Pac-12. Um, I don't think this Arizona team was that good. That was exposed in some ways in their non-conference season when they went to the Bahamas and got you know blown out three games in a row and didn't really look that good the rest of non-conference. I don't think they lost any other games, but they I want to say they had to go to OT to beat UNLV. Um, you know, they had some struggles, and then they got into Pac-12 play, and they looked better, and maybe they didn't really fix anything. They just got to play in a weak Pac-12. Um which, uh, you know, it was very weak this year. And 
is really a, a continuing trend. I mean, it, it's been a while since the Pac-12 has been really good. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's concerning to me uh, where the Pac-12 is and how to fix it. Because, um, you know, you look at some of the standard bearers, Stanford, UCLA, been a while since they've been really good. UCLA had a pretty good team last year, but that was a one-year blip. Uh, Stanford's been a long time. You know, Arizona has been good, but not great. And it's a struggle in the conference right now. And there's, it's a struggle for perception. And we're losing that battle. Well, and what's weird is Oregon had a good run mm-hmm. under Altman. Uh, UCLA last year made it to the Elite Eight. You know, there were good runs had, uh-huh. but there's no dominant year where there's no. seven or eight I mean, teams who are all good is, and bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, go back 10 years when we were seniors in college and how good the conference was. You know, UCLA was, was in that year going to its third straight Final Four. And Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook, you know, really good team. Yeah. Um, USC was good. OJ Mayo. You know, OJ Mayo. DeRozan came the next year. Taj Gibson. Uh, you know, ASU was good with James Harden. Arizona was, was going through a rough patch, but they still had talent. Uh, you know, Oregon was good. Um, Washington, Washington kind was of slipped a good. bit from its peak, but they were good. Yeah, you know. And, and there's another program. I mean, Washington was year after year good, and now the last several years, they've not been very good. Um, you know, they changed coaches. Obviously, this year they were better, but still didn't get in the tournament. You know, Oregon goes to the Final Four last year, this year, and this is the tournament. So there, there really is, has not been – and I think you could probably start the discussion with UCLA. UCLA is the standard bearer in the Pac-12, you know, the, because of their history. Um but they've flipped into mostly irrelevance over the last 10 years. I mean, they're good, but not great. They, they haven't fallen on horribly hard times, but this year for them was more of a, you know, typical year than an outlier bubble team first four, you know, they had, they won, they probably wouldn't go anywhere. Like, and, and seeing them become kind of just an also ran is, is concerning. And then, you know, you can extend this conversation to football. Second time in three years, Pac-12 doesn't get a playoff team. Um, terrible performance in bowl games. Now, bowl games, I think, put maybe too much meaning put on those, but one and eight. One and eight in bowl games and 0 and three. 0 and three in the NCAA tournament. tournament. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's concerning because you what you don't want is for the Pac-12 to become the Big East, um, which, you know, the Big East was a very high-profile conference, and their football got really weak. And and then all of a sudden people started jumping ship, and I don't know that that's going to happen. But the battle of perception was lost, and the and, and the perception was now oh, the Big East is not really a power, even though we call them a power. And I can't lie; I think the Pac-12 is approaching that territory. I mean, you know, are we on the same level as the Big Ten and the SEC right now? No, and probably not the ACC. Probably not um, the probably not the Big Twelve. I mean, not in basketball in the Big 12. Uh, You know, football, you could argue, has been about, I mean, the Big 12 football has become such a, you know, crazy league with nobody plays any defense and it's like arena football every weekend. Uh, You know, but, um, yeah, basketball certainly is, you know, they got, what, seven teams in the tournament out of ten. You know, I think it was seven, six or seven at least. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a Pac-12 homer. I've never been one of those guys who, you know, 
like, oh, if it, you know, I root for the other conference teams. I don't care. But I want the conference to be good. And right now, it's it's a it's a concerning time. I think as you look around, and I, you know, I don't I don't want the conference to become a second tier conference on the level of the American. But I think you could argue that the American was probably as good as the Pac-12, at least in basketball this year, um, and maybe in football too. Maybe we sold it short. Maybe it was just as good as Pac-12 in football as well. Who knows? Yeah. I, I mean, I am a Pac-12 homer. I do generally root for the rest of the conference when they're not playing. Yeah. And it is really, really scary. Um, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Is, I mean, I, I, I don't think – a couple things. I, I don't think that this is Larry Scott's fault. I think there's a lot of things that are. And maybe, you know, if our network was on, you know, yep. DirecTV – and then mm-hmm. more kids could see it, and it could be mm-hmm. in sports bars around the country. That might help. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, well, keep going, and then I'll I I'll jump in there. But I also think that you know part of the problem is we're we're getting mired down a lot in controversy all, all over basketball. Yeah. You know, football took a hit when USC took a hit, and it's yeah, never really true. recovered. And basketball is in the midst of taking a hit that yeah. you could make the argument started with when when U of A found Sean Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, not not that not to suggest Miller has been cheating the whole time or whatever, but the rest of the conference has dipped as U of A found its footing. The rest of the conference has dipped, yeah, and it's made U U of A you know rise back up the ranks fast, but I think it's, you know, like you said, hiding the fact that the conference is not good, not that there's some magical turnaround. No, no, I mean, you know, I I look at at Stanford as kind of an emblematic of Pac-12 basketball. I mean, Stanford, when we were kids, when we were in high school and college, they were pretty good every year. Never won a national title. But they were always a force. They had first-round picks. They were getting in the tournament consistently. They were making runs to the second weekend. Got to the Final Four, I think, you know, a couple times. Um, and it's been a long time since Stanford's been any good. Uh, I mean, they made a probably a poor coaching hire with Johnny Dawkins. Prior to that, Trent Johnson, he wasn't that good. Johnny Dawkins really struggled. Um, now they're on another coach. I mean, so you, you can point to coaching hires. You know, UCLA got Steve Alford. Eh, I mean... Well, and the thing Steve with UCLA, any good, like, well, and the other uh, thing is UCLA got their players not because of Steve Alford, but because they're in LA. I mean, Lonzo Ball right. was going to go to UCLA if I was the head coach, right? You know, and, and you're right, and and they're not getting enough of those type of players. Like Lonzo Ball, yeah, you're right, and that was a big reason that they had that one year sort of you know blip last year of being a pretty good team and a national relevant team. But they haven't gotten enough of those. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, UCLA has won one national championship in 43 years. Now, they won 10 before that, but it's been 43 years since John Wooden won his last national title. So, yes, they'll always be a historical power because of what they did there. But, you know, when you think of college basketball heavyweights anymore, unless you're talking historically, if you're talking currently, UCLA's really not in that conversation. And... That's a problem for the Pac-12 because they're supposed to be, um, but they haven't been there enough in the last you know twenty or so years. Uh, they had that one little three-year run of, of three straight Final Fours, had some really good players come through, 
and then fell on some pretty hard times with Ben Howland after that. It, it fell apart quickly. It's just, just as quickly as he built it, it collapsed. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's indicative of a broader problem. The other thing with basketball, you know, it's not the women's game. It's not UConn. But right. the stars pool in places, and the problem is the wrong stars have pooled. Like U of A, yes. this class who's leaving, Aiton was a five-star. Oh, yeah. was a five-star. Alkins was a five-star. Yeah, and, yeah. And what, what's the kid's name? Eton something? I don't know. The, um, the short last name, it ends in T-O-N. What? Oh, uh, a- Acot. Yeah, code. I don't know how it's pronounced. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was a big time recruit. So was this Brandon Randolph kid. They barely played yeah. this past year. I mean, they were both really highly touted before the year, and then as the year wore along, it was almost to the point where it was like, "Are they still on the team?" I mean, I don't watch a lot of them. Um, well, I'll say this: I, I mean, Alex Barcelo was getting more minutes, and he, he was, was he was highly yeah. touted in Arizona. He would have mm-hmm. been a nice mm-hmm. guy for a Herb Sendek ASU team. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're you're right about that, and I mean, I, you know, look, I, I'm not a big Sean Miller fan. That's you know, uh, well established, I think. With you, um, I don't think Sean Miller is that good of a coach. I think Sean Miller has recruited well. I don't think he has coached them well, um, and, and I think they've been a pretty you know an underachieving team given the talent level that they've had. For them to, you know, yeah, they got to what two elite eights in a row, and they lost to Wisconsin both years, and you know they could have easily won one or both of those games. But they did. And the last three years, they've lost to double-digit seeds in the tournament, uh, two in the first round. And then last year in the Sweet 16, when everything was supposed to be lined up for them to finally get over the hump, and they didn't. Um, so I don't, I, you know, some of it's coaching. I don't think the coaching in this conference is all that good. Dana Altman, I think, is a pretty solid coach. Miller's a decent coach. I don't want to say Miller's a terrible coach, but I don't think he's that good. I don't think he's great. Um and then, you know, Alfred, I think Alfred's an uninspired coach. When they hired Steve Alfred, I didn't quite get it. And when he was rumored to be leaving to go to Indiana last year, I thought they should let him go. He's he's an, he's an above-average coach. That's it. Yeah. Andy um, Enfield cashed in on Dunk City. Right. Or and is he really that good? I, I don't know. And he might be cheating, too. I mean, you know, yeah. like, like they're, they're squarely embroiled in, in the scandal as well. Um, you know, so it's, it's – uh, it's just not been very good, and then and then you stretch it over to football, and you know you're right. You know the USC fell on some hard times. They've gotten back, but not really back. Oregon um, post chip. Oregon had a terrible. great run, but has really fallen apart quickly. Yeah, you know Stanford's good, but you know probably not the program that they were five years ago. Washington um, had one good year, but then this year was. Poor. Was a step backward. Yeah, you know, I mean, they still they won ten games and got to the Fiesta Bowl, but it was a bit of a step backward. And you know, look, it's it's early and things can surprise you. But looking ahead to this coming football season, you have a hard time coming up with with a team that you feel like, oh, well, they're they're the favorite. They're going to be the playoff team. I'm struggling. I mean, maybe it's Washington. People think you know they got a lot of their defense back. Browning's back. Miles Gaskin. You know, maybe they can. Um, but I don't know, and, and I will say, you, you made the point about the network. The network's a big part of this, I, I believe. The network has been awful, as far as I'm concerned. I, the, the conference presidents love it, um, so we're supposed to love it. But the network has decreased exposure for this conference. And it's a, it's a conference that already struggles with exposure because of night games, 
late starts and and now you've put those late starts on a network that a lot of people don't even get <laughs> and and it's made it very easy to dismiss this conference like eh, who cares uh, i'm not you know i'm not going to go out of my way well, to watch pac-12 network uh, I mean, so i think that's a big part of this as somebody who since the network's been in existence has not lived in a pac-12 state right. I, right. I pay i pay a fee because i'm crazy to pay it to have it to, for a station that i watch a dozen times a year. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, yeah, you know, three or four football games that are on there and maybe, you know, a dozen or so basketball games. And that's probably about it if you're just watching ASU. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and look, some of the things are inherent to the Pac-12. Again, the Pac-12 has an inherent struggle because they play late. You know, playing a game at ASU in, in September has to start at 7 o'clock. That's 10 o'clock Eastern. Same thing in Tucson, same thing in L.A., you know, it's it, and and so it's tough. Um, there's some things that cannot be overcome, but those have always been things. I mean, this is not something it's not like we just started time zones. Time zones have been in existence since the Pac-12 existed and the Pac-10 existed. So, you know, I don't think you can blame that. Yes, late starts are a part of it, but they've always been a part of it. Um, and and I think they've gotten worse because of the fact that now not only are they late starts but some of the games that aren't late starts are stuck on the pac-12 network and no one can see them and and uh and some of the ones that are late are on the pac-12 network and no one can see them so it's it's like it's i just think you know you're you're uh you're hurting yourself with this network and it's not supposed to be that way for the big 10 it's been a huge boom and for the pac-12 it's been just the opposite well the other thing is the big 10 doesn't put their you know, they put their worst game on the Big Ten Network, and it's on right. at, you know, early. It's an early 10 game. in the morning. Yeah. You know, yeah. The Pac-12 puts their worst four games on the network, yeah. and, you know, they start early. Yeah. Now, again, I don't believe the Pac-12 Network, had it been done exactly the same as the Big Ten Network, would be as successful. Because there's just something. The Pac-12 does not have as many schools that have nationwide fan bases. There's not, you know, you are an exception to the rule. There's not a lot of ASU fans outside of Arizona. Probably not a lot of Arizona fans outside of Arizona. Oh, no. There you know, are, US, I mean, part of it is the states that the Pac-12 is in are nice states to live in. People don't really right. leave. Um, so it's, yeah. So people in, in Indiana don't really care to watch the Pac-12 in large numbers because they have no connection to them. Whereas people out here will watch you know, Illinois versus Penn State, because there's a lot of people out here who, you know, lived in Illinois or lived in Pennsylvania, and so they have nationwide fan bases. So those are things that cannot be overcome. But again, those are things that always existed. What's changed in the last decade? Uh, you know, yeah, some, some, you know, big, you're right, some scandals at schools that have really hurt them, USC football probably most notably. But the Pac-12 network has really been what's changed. And, and, you know, more and more, I mean, those games that used to be on Fox Sports are now on, on Pac-12 Network. People don't get it. I don't get that channel. DirecTV is the biggest TV provider in the nation. Yeah. And we don't get that channel. And, and Larry Scott appears to have no desire to ever change that. Um, and so while Larry Scott's done some good things, he's not, you know, the worst guy in the world. But he's bungled this network, and I think it's been a big factor in the re- the reduced perception because perception goes a long ways. The Pac-12 this year wasn't very good, but 
you could look at the Big 12 overall records and say, well, they had a lot of average teams, too, a lot of teams around 500. But people watched that network on ESPN because, God, it was on, you know, every night. I mean, every Trey Young game was on ESPN for the last three months. And they said, well, these teams are really good. They're just beating up on each other. Whereas with the Pac-12, these teams are all average. Just perception. Yeah. I mean, that is SEC football. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the SEC, you know, not last year, but the year before, we talked about it. Alabama was undefeated. And everybody after that had four more losses. But did anybody say, well, the SEC really stinks? No. It's like, well, boy, LSU and Florida and these teams, they're just beating up on each other. Alabama's great. Everybody else is such a tough conference. But when the Pac-12 does that, it's, boy, this conference is average. Um, And that's because people don't see the games. Uh, You know, I mean, the Big 12 benefits in basketball, especially from being on ESPN. I mean, three nights a week, it seemed like you could, you know, turn on ESPN and there was a Big 12 game on Kansas, Oklahoma. I mean, my God, ESPN became the Trey Young Network as the season wore along. Um, so, yeah, it makes a big difference in perception. And those games were not on. And when they were on ESPN, they were on at, you know, 11 o'clock Eastern. Yeah. That's hard. You know, it really is. It's hard to achieve anything with that. I mean, what, what's the most notable thing about Pac-12 basketball? Bill Walton. And his insane commentary. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, like, that's great, but that's not really a way to build your conference. No, I mean, that's a good point. That's, it's a joke, and it's the only nationwide thing that people talk about. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. DeAndre Ayton was, yeah. a, you know, potential national player of the year, and right. nobody saw him. Who saw him? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they played. I mean, I, I wonder if you could go back and, and look, I mean, you probably could. How many of their games were on national TV? You know, ESPN, Fox Sports 1, whatever. Um, and how many of those games started after 9 o'clock Eastern? And how many are left? There's probably, you know, less than 10. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that makes a big difference. Whereas Trey Young, man, if you wanted to see Trey Young, all you had to do was turn on ESPN any night of the week. And there he was. And if he wasn't on, they'd show you an ad for his next game. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know, but it, but I do find it worrisome as, as somebody who, you know, once, I mean, I, I chose ASU because I wanted to go to a school that had major sports and where big games would be played. It wasn't just, you know, I want ASU to be great, but I, I wanted, you know, I wanted big football and big basketball. Um, that was a big reason why I wanted to come here. Um, and, and I do worry, and we're not there yet, but I, there's, there's, there's some worry that we're headed for, for the Big East um, and headed for irrelevance if things don't improve soon. And maybe I'm a doomsayer, but I'm a bit concerned. You wanted big-time football. The new leadership model is in place. <sighs> That's right. And here in about less than an hour, getting in the car, and I'm headed to see a spring practice which under are, Herm Edwards. Which are open to the public because yes. that's how Herm rolls. Uh-huh. Um, the big news, I guess, would be two regular offensive contributors under the Graham regime are now on defense in, yeah. in a very Todd Graham-like move. Jalen <laughs> yeah. Harvey's getting first-team reps at safety after you know three hundred plus yards and a touchdown and missed yeah. his first down for Manny Wilkins. Yeah. Uh, He's moving to safety, and Nick Ralston, who could not be displaced out of the backfield no matter what Eno Benjamin and Traylon Smith right. tried to do, he's playing linebacker. Yeah, 
yeah. Uh, the Nick Ralston move doesn't doesn't really shake me up too much because I don't think he was, you know, much when it came to running back. I mean, he was fine, but nothing special. The, the Harvey move is surprising to me. Um, well, because I thought he was a pretty good receiver. Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to say he was, you know, all conference, but pretty good. Well, so I'm we, a little bit surprised. We can dispatch um, with Ralston pretty quick. He <laughs> never made it into the rotation no. above Balazs and Richard, and they recruited past him. They're, they're bringing in, I don't know, a yes. thousand running backs in this year's recruiting yeah, class. Yeah, so that, then, that one, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's, it's a way for him to maybe contribute at a position that we don't have a lot, you know, very, very little, if any, returning starters or depth. I mean, we, you know, we were very heavily reliant on Calhoun and Sam. They're both gone. Jamarcus Rhodes is gone. So, you know, that is a wide open position. And yeah, great. Um, certainly our secondary, I'm not saying is a position of strength. Um, but, you know, Jalen Harvey moving there, if it works, great. I mean, maybe it will. Um, but I'm surprised because he was a good contributor on offense. Now we are deep at receiver. There should be other guys who can step in. Um, so maybe that's why it makes sense, you know, to try someone else there. But, uh, I, yeah, I found it kind of surprising when I saw that, you know, a couple weeks ago that that was apparently going to be the case. I mean, he's a senior, so if he's not going to play much, that's a way to do it. He also, yes. I mean, the suggestion also I saw in uh, Haller's story was if he has a path to the NFL, that's it. Maybe, um, maybe you know, and, and – and I, you know, I know we're playing this three-three-five, so we're going to have three safeties on the field at a time. It seems like, and uh, you know, so there's there's obviously an increased playing time available there. Um, so we'll see. You know, it's a, it's an unconventional move, um, but you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, Todd Graham's probably probably kind of disappointed that he didn't get have a chance to make these moves. Um, you know, because well, they are very. Very Graham-esque. Take someone on offense, move them to defense. He never would have moved Ralston. That I, no, that I believe in no, my heart. No. But, <laughs> Probably not. But, he loved him some Nick Ralston at running back. But the Jalen Harvey move, I mean, for me, I guess, you know, he hasn't played safety. He hasn't played defense other than dabbling at, uh, you know, along with Balage and Demarie Nelson, uh-huh. the rush linebacker. Right. Um, he hasn't played defense in, since high school. I guess the fact that we're bringing in a whole new system doesn't, you know, it makes him less far behind than he true, otherwise would true. have been. Yeah, but it's instincts. I mean, he even mentioned, I read the story on him, you know, I think it was yesterday, um, you know, he, he even mentioned like, you know, yeah, you can chase the ball, but if you, you know, are always chasing the ball, you end up, you know, biting on a play action and you're out of, you know, so he, he has, you would expect, not very much in the way of defensive instincts. Uh, at least you know from experience, but maybe they're maybe they're there. You know, maybe they're seeing something we aren't. Obviously, at this time of year, you you have to uh, you know put your trust in the coaching staff that they know what they're doing because we can't see anything to you know second guess them. Even if you go to practice, it's hard to read too much into that. Um, now, if he gets you know if we get to games and he's a starting safety and we're giving up you know fifty yard touchdown passes over his head, then we can second guess the move. But until then, you know, we have to kind of trust they know what they're doing and hope that trust is not misplaced. The uh, the notable difference for me, based on the reporting I've seen between the new leadership model and the old, is that Edwards <laughs> drifts around. He's not, yeah. you know, he. 
he worked, I saw, one-on-one with Chase Lucas a bit, which defensive yeah. backs should be the thing that he is. Sure, sure. You know, That's what he was. Best, yeah, best qualified to coach. But, that you know, that is not going to be his sole focus. Then I suppose the other thing I saw was there was a suggestion that they are taking a more NFL-type approach to player discipline in that uh-huh. they're, they're not – you know, calling guys out or singling guys out, but they are doing uh, drills to to run guys for loafing, and they're making the whole team run it. Yeah, uh, ten yard. They have to do ten yard sprints in unison, and to do a perfect one probably takes more than one attempt. And they had to do sixty nine perfect ones or something at at one practice. Right. Right. So. Maybe it's more player-to-player accountability. I don't know. I mean, discipline was never really a Graham problem. No, no, it was not. You're right. You're right. And, and, uh, yeah, we'll see. You know, I mean, those are – that's what we heard. You know, both of those things are are kind of more like what we heard about what this was going to be. Herm Edwards was going to be the CEO. He was, uh, you know, not really going to be – a guy who was heavily involved in X's and O's on either side of the ball. He was going to be the the leader and he was going to trust his assistants and keep those assistants. And, you know, time will tell on how that approach works. Um, and that was supposed to model more of what the NFL does. Now, you know, certain NFL teams don't run that way. I mean, there, there are plenty of head coaches who call plays on offense or call plays on defense and yeah. are very, you know, most NFL coaches are geared to one side of the ball or the other. Um, that's where they get their start. They're offensive or defensive coordinators in large part, you know, before they become head coaches. Um, but we'll see, you know, I mean, this, this is, uh, this is going to be a grand experiment and, uh, we're in the very, very early infancy stages of that experiment with spring practice. And, um, you know, we, we will see, um, I know everybody's waiting for it to fail. I think you and I are, are both prepared for it to possibly fail, but, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a chance because I got no other alternative. <laughs> uh, you know, if I don't give it a chance, what do I have? So, uh, you know, I'm going to, to, you know, put my faith in them and uh, once again, you know, hope hope that faith is rewarded, I guess. I mean, it's one of those things. Do I think the move is any better now than I did when we made it? No, but I, guess no. I also don't think it's any worse. I haven't seen no. anything to, you know, yeah, alter exactly. my opinion. Uh, that's my thought too. Yeah, I mean, you know, nothing, nothing has tangibly changed, um, and and it's not going to. I mean, regardless of anything that happens between now and September first, we're not going to know any more about how good or bad this move is, um, uh, because you know you're judged on the games. I mean, Todd Graham did a lot of things outside of the games that were endearing to people, people liked, but he didn't win enough games, and that's why he's no longer the coach. Um, so that's what it's going to come down to. You know, I mean, Ray Anderson stood up there and he said going, you know, seven and five and getting to a middle tier bowl game is not good enough. So, okay. Prove it. You know, I, I'm, I'm with you, but yeah, now you got to start proving it. And, and, you know, um, that's, that's where it's going to be judged. Uh, those, you know, 12 Saturdays or Thursdays or whatever day of the week we end up playing on. Um, and, and then, you know, where you are in the postseason and, and it's not just this year, you know, I don't want to judge it on just one year, but certainly I don't, you know, I, I told you this before, I don't have the stomach for a big rebuild. That's not what this is supposed to be. 
Um, so, uh, you know, if this is a four and eight campaign, I'm going to be very disappointed and let down because that's not what we were told it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this should be quick. This team should be competitive yeah. and ranked nationally and yeah. otherwise I mean, it would be a, a disappointment. I'm a pretty patient fan. I think I, I'm a, I try to be reasonable. We just went through a rebuild with basketball. When we made the change from Herb to Bobby Hurley, you and I discussed like, yes, it's not going to be easy. This is not going to be something that happens in one year. And it wasn't. Uh, we, we went through two pretty rough years before this year having some success. Um, that's not the way this is supposed to be. I mean, Todd Graham, yeah, he didn't win big, but he had, you know, five, 500 or better seasons in six years. That's not terrible. Um, so, you know, if the standard's higher than that, great, but now you have to back it up. Yeah. So we'll see. You're going to go. We're going to get your thoughts and feelings. Next we time will, we yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to uh, – you know, go watch the practice over there. It's been quite a long time since the last time I watched an ASU practice. Uh, it goes back. I never, I never saw a Todd Graham practice uh, in person. It goes back to the Dennis Erickson years before I worked at the Cardinals. And uh, thankfully, I guess Herm is opening it up to the public, so I'm going to take advantage and go see one tonight, and maybe a couple others over the next few weeks before the spring practice ends. And then it'll be, uh, you know, time to get get ready because even though it's six you know five and a half months to the opener it'll get here fast soon enough we'll be doing that you know game by game prediction yeah cannot wait indeed but uh we've got content we filled last summer we'll fill this summer we got that's right that's right we've got some you know some big picture projects to work on just to tease our audience a little bit uh you know some some overall you know things we'll talk about as the summer wears along and you know there'll be nba playoffs there'll be major league baseball there'll be nfl draft we've got that coming up nfl schedule release all that good stuff and then before you know it, it'll be end of july and it'll be football preview time yeah we know you're waiting for matt's quarterback breakdown for the draft <laughs> My, mine happens but it's really matt's that matters um until then we will fill it we'll we'll have stuff don't worry. We're not going to abandon you. That's right. My voice is coming back. I'm like 85% of the way there. Yes, so yes. We will, we will keep giving away free content and shouting into the abyss. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Uh, until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.